Can everybody hear all right? Okay, that the message on the persecuted church is one of mixed emotions. On the one hand, it is one of huge sadness, and in many respects, an uncomfortable message for us to hear how brothers and sisters are being persecuted simply because of the love that they have for Jesus. But on the other hand, we can learn and be inspired and be encouraged by the way they live their lives under extreme conditions. Often we feel helpless and in many respects ignorant to the suffering that is going on in the persecuted church. My message this morning is going to focus on what we, as part of the church in the free world, can do. What does God expect us from here in the congregation of St. Margaret's? What does God expect from us here sitting here this morning? Today's gospel reading from John took place at the Last Supper. It was, a lo- it was the last time Jesus was going to spend time with his disciples before he was led away to be crucified. At the supper, among several other important lessons and teachers, Jesus warns his disciples that they would be hated and persecuted because of their faith. It reads, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me, hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And in verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name. As we see that, and we see that warning become a reality very early in the Christian history. The first Christian martyr killed because of his faith was Stephen. We read that after his death, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. This persecution has con- continued unabated throughout history and possibly, possibly is, is at one of its worst in modern times. Persecution today comes in many forms and includes physical and verbal abuse, economic and social exclusion, imprisonment, kidnapping, bribes, deportation, destruction of property, fines, torture and murder. Some statistics, it's estimated that currently 100 million Christians in more than 60 countries are facing daily persecutions from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Christ. 163,000 Christians die every year for their faith. That works at about 450 deaths a day. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined. In the 1920s, 200,000 Russian Orthodox priests, monks, and nuns were murdered. Many were crucified by nailing them to the doors of their churches or stripped naked, doused with water, and left to freeze in the winter air. In the 1960s, during the Cultural Revolution in China, some 400,000 Christians were murdered. In the 70s, under Idi Amin, 100,000 Christians were murdered. In 1994, as many 500,000 Christian Rwandas were killed. The 21st century hasn't started too well either with the mass murders of Christians in Nigeria, Sudan, Syria, and Iraq. Most of these killings have taken place simply because each person killed has chosen to follow Jesus. Whilst these numbers are shocking, they can also be somewhat cold and impersonal. So let's look at a few personal stories. A story, a story that some of you may have heard. Miriam Ibrahim, she was a Muslim lady by birth who converted to Christianity. And she was eight months pregnant when she was put, in, put into jail and charged for apostasy, which is a rejection of the Muslim faith. In jail, she was given the option of rejecting her Christian faith. When she refused to do so, she was sentenced to 100, 100 floggings, and then to death. Whilst in jail and awaiting her fate, fate, she gave birth to her child in prison cells with both legs chained to the prison floor. Fortunately, with the world spotlight on Miriam, lots of prayers, she was released. Then there's the story of John Yakabu. John, a Christian living in northeast Nigeria in a village called Atagra, and this happened a couple months ago, was forced to flee his village 
with his family after attack by Boko Haram. The attack on the predominantly Christian village occurred just as the Sunday service was beginning. Numerous people, including young children attending the Sunday school, were murdered. After a while, John made a trip back to his village to recover what he could, including his Bible. Whilst he was there, he was spotted and captured by some Boko Haram insurgents. His captures gave him an option, convert to Islam or to be tortured to death. Turn your back on Jesus. John refused to do so and was tied to a tree and repeatedly slashed with a knife and hacked with an axe. Eventually, John lost consciousness. At some point, the insurgents left and John was left bleeding and tied to the tree for three days before somebody rescued him and he was taken to a hospital in a coma. And then the last story I'm going to mention, and one which has had a massive impact on my heart towards a persecuted church, was a story of a sister in Egypt. I do know what her name was, so I'll call her Sister A. Sister A was a Muslim living on the seventh floor of a building with her family. She met a Christian woman who stayed in the same block, and after several discussions and attending church in secret, she gave her life to Jesus. She was warned not to tell her husband or to discuss her faith with anyone. One day she decided that she no longer could contain, secretly contain her love for Jesus and the joy she felt inside, so she made a decision that night to tell her husband. Nobody knows exactly what happened that night, except that her husband, in front of her children, threw her out of the window, out of the seventh story. A song has been written about her. It's called Seven Stories to Glory. There are millions of, millions of stories like that of Mirren, John and Sister A, stories that are being lived out right now as I speak. Recognizing that we are a body of Christ, one family, as Paul writes in his letters to the Corinthians, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, could be persecuted or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of, of one part, but of many. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So in the knowledge that we are, a, are one body, what are, what are our obligations as part of the church and the free world towards our family that is being persecuted? What does God expect from us here in the congregation of St. Margaret's? I'm going to suggest three things. Why there's always three things? <laughs> Something I've always learned in the sermons is, oh, the Trinity. I tried to think of four, but I couldn't. Yeah. So three things. Firstly, we need to be aware what is going on. We cannot block out what is going on across the world. We cannot be ignorant. If I was, asked, if I was going to ask a question, how many of you were thinking of your right foot immediately before I asked the question? None. But I can show you, if you kicked your toe on your right foot as you walked into church, and your toe was broken or bleeding, or you stood on a nail that went right through your foot, you would have been very much aware of your right foot. As a result of that awareness or pain and suffering in your foot, you would take some action. You may take a pain tablet or go to the doctor or even receive prayer ministry for your foot after the service. And it's the same with the persecuted church. We will only take action if we're aware of the suffering that is going on, if we are, are informed. God started grabbing hold of my heart for the persecuted church through stories like Sister A. For the most part of my Christian journey, I've been ignorant of the persecuted church. We often pray, God break my heart for what breaks your heart. God can only break our hearts if we're aware of what is going on. And there are various ways we can be made and kept aware of what is happening with our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. One such way is Open Door South Africa, which is a Christian organization focusing on the persecuted church. You can be kept up to date via Facebook, Twitter, 
and if you're information technology constrained like me, you can receive free hard copies of their monthly newsletters. There are also many other organizations which provide free newsletters, such as the Voice of the Martyrs, and I just love that name, an international Christian concern. If you go into their website, you'll be able to sign up for their newsletters. And if you don't have access to the computer, I'm sure if you spoke to somebody in the church, they would, they would subscribe to you where you can receive the, the new letters in the post, not through the computer, but through the post like the, like the old way. Jess, Jess James was sharing recently at a Sunday evening service how she had subscribed to the Open Doors newsletters, but never, she never actually read them. They started to pile up, but she just put them one side. Then one day she started to read them all. As she was sharing on this matter, it was clear that through awareness, her heart had been softened for her brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. In addition to newsletters and updates, there are also excellent, many excellent books on the persecuted church. And then maybe we must just keep a, a separate section in the library. I've just got to return all the books sometime, man. but I will do that. Friends, we are only going to take action if we are aware that part of our body, our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, are indeed suffering. And that is our first obligation as part of the family in the free world, is to be aware of what is going on to the body of, of, the, of Christ in the persecuted world. Having awareness, our next obligation is to take action. I certainly do not believe that God expects our shouts and Margaret's to jump in a plane loaded up with our golf clubs, our fishing rods, our knitting needles, tennis rackets, paddling oars, and go and take on ISIS in Iraq or Boko Haram in northern Nigeria or the Zhang An armies of North Korea. I can just imagine us pitching up there with our knitting needles. <laughs> I don't think we would last too long. So what can we do? If you asked our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, what is the one thing that we as individuals in a small part of the body can do for them, their response would be prayer. Not only does God hear and respond to our prayers, but each person in the persecuted church is hugely encouraged, knowing that their family in the free world is lifting them up in prayer. In praying for our brothers and sisters, we can pray for their families, for their and their families' physical protection, for unity amongst the believers, for strength and endurance, for their light to shine brightly, and for God's glory to work through them. We can also pray for the perpetuators of the persecution, that their hearts be softened and they get to know Jesus. In addition to prayer, another option is to undertake a trip through Open Doors or similar organization to one of the persecuted countries. The purpose of such trips are to offer interceding prayers within the borders of such countries, to encourage Christians and to grow more in awareness. When I visited Morocco with Open Doors a few years ago, we were fortunate to meet four Christians, but the main purpose was to lift up all our brothers and sisters in prayer that were facing persecution within the country. A week after our return, I read on one of the, the news feeds that a Christian man who was facing a lengthy prison term in Morocco jail because of his faith was surprisingly released. Not really surprising to me, God had honored our commitment and heard our prayers. Other important actions, including writing of letters of encouragement and financial support, and you can, you can find all of those on those websites I mentioned. Friends, with awareness, we need to take action. The action we take may differ from person to person, but one thing that we all should be doing is being on our knees and praying for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted world. The third and last point that I believe God expects from each one of us is for us to learn from and to be inspired and to be encouraged by our brothers and sisters in the persecuted world. Jesus did not come into this world promising that as believers and followers of him that everything in this world will be plain sailing. But he did promise that at the end everything will be okay. Our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church get this. They live their lives in the knowledge that despite their daily persecution, 
Everything at the end of their early lives is going to be okay as Jesus welcomes them into heaven. They understand what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They get and understand whoever wants to be my when Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their lives for me, for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? They get and understand when Jesus said, You are the light of the world. They understand the message of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. They understand that Jesus' message in life was one of victory as opposed to defeat on the cross. Friends, we can be inspired and be encouraged by our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church who despite their daily trials and tribulations have decided to follow Jesus. For many of them, like Sister A, the story does not end well in this life, but ends well in the world to come. Despite the cost, Jesus was worth it. We can learn so much. In conclusion, Jesus warned us that we would face persecution because of his name. That warning is a reality in the persecuted church as as part of our family are facing intense persecution. Stories like that of Miriam Ibrahim, John Yakabu, and Sister A are happening every day. As a body in the free world, we have an obligation towards our family being persecuted. As a congregation of St. Margaret's, we need to be aware what is going on, and we need to take action. But perhaps most importantly, we have an obligation to learn from them and to be inspired and encouraged by our family in the persecuted church. Amen. Do you want me to yeah, pray? Do you want me, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, dear Lord Jesus, we just lift our brothers and sisters up in the persecuted church before you, Lord. We just pray for a lifting of their, their, their physical sufferings, Lord. We just, we just pray for strength and endurance, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that, that their light continues to burn brightly for you, Lord. And, and we just pray, Lord, that their glory continues to reflect. Your glory continues to reflect through them, Lord. And Lord, we pray for the persecutors too, Lord. We just pray for... Their hearts to be softened, Lord, and, and they get to know you, Lord. And we pray for each one of us here too this morning, Lord, that, that we can just have, have ears, Lord, and eyes just to, to see and understand what's going on in the persecuted world. And, and Lord, we just give you thanks, Lord, for this morning for the message of the cross, Lord, that it's one of victory and not of defeat, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we just give you glory, Lord. Amen.